Jesus himself prayed for him. So you can see there that he's still about, still around. We know he's still around. Uh, but that's all going to change because halfway through, I think it is the tribulation time, these seven years of the tribulation, he will be cast down to earth because you see in uh, Revelation somewhere about 19 or 20, 19 probably, his tail sweeps a third of the angels out of the sky and that is speaking of the fact that he drew away a third of the angelic host with him. It's much like um, Satanism and witchcraft today, the promises of power. You know, if you come and join me, this is what you'll get. And that is what lures men and women into witchcraft and Satanism, the promise of power. We were speaking about it in regard to martial arts last night, weren't we? Um, that Because it gives them a sense of power, importance, achievement, I won't let go of it. Um, that's another thing we might go into at some stage, what is and isn't safe for Christians to get involved in. It'll stir up a few hornets' nests. So Satan is, is allowed. Let me just say that he can do nothing except God allows him. Nothing. Whatever circumstance you are up against in your life, filter it through the fact that God is allowing, allowing it. He's allowing it for a purpose. So what we have to find out is why, why is it being allowed? And have I made a, a loop, a, 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 an opening here? You know, we really have to say, you know, am I reaping what I've sown here? Sometimes we're actually reaping what we've sown. I spoke to someone in the, the recent past who was having a very difficult marriage and she was warned not to marry this person. You're reaping what you've sown, darling. You know? You, I didn't say it to her, but it was as clear as the nose on your face, really. It's a, it's a law. It's a natural law, a spiritual law, like the law of gravity. As Graham says, you can't sow potatoes and reap rhubarb. I mean, you really can't. And when you sow into God's kingdom, you cannot reap anything other than blessing. I mean... In the last couple of weeks, Joyce and I have been inundated with such a, a, amazing things. There's a PA system that, that's waltzed in the door, which is subject to negotiation still. We haven't prayed about it together. Uh, but at the moment, June has bought it for us, uh, and, and we will see what God says about that. Um, people have been most tremendously generous to the... It's, it's a time of, of abundance, we had a new computer given to us when our other one just died. It fell over. That was it. I had 102 emails waiting for me. And my, my box kept saying, no new, no new messages. And I thought, oh, that's funny. Going back to June and July, I thought, oh. Anyway, if you want to get me, phone me, would you? Because I don't trust these things. So at this time, he's still got access until it's Revelation 12, 7 to 10, where he's cast down to earth. Um, but I rather feel that it was a bit like um, Absalom. You know the story of Absalom and David. Absalom went and sat outside the city gates because he was, he was wanting to usurp David's position. And everybody who came in, he virtually said, are you for me or him? Falling behind me if you're for me. And so he, he had an uprising against his father. And it's like a mirror that Satan 
led an uprising against God. He was always on a winner, on, on a loser. It was, it's absolutely, sorry about that, absolutely on a loser. I mean, it just on the highway to nowhere. We're talking about almighty God here and he a created being, but because of his pride he lost sight of that. Um, but there we are. Sentence has been passed. It was passed in Genesis 3.14. When we have a look at that, we'll see. And that, I'm going into this to see that he was already fallen and this was where he fell and this is why he fell so that we could actually look at the Garden of Eden and see with more intelligence what happened there. Because Genesis is the seedbed of the Bible. There is so much in there. It all sort of like the seed and it all grows from there. It's absolutely brilliant. So in Revelation 20.10, we see him cast into the lake of fire, which Jesus tells us was prepared for the devil and his angels. I haven't looked that scripture up. I meant to. I've just realized in reading that now. I meant to look it up. Somewhere in the New Testament, he tells his disciples and anyone who wanted to listen that that was what the lake of fire was prepared for. Um, I know that people find this very hard, that there is actually a lake of fire. And no one will, be, will go there except by their own free choice. We, we choose our destiny. Um, praise God, everyone in this room has chosen Jesus as their destiny. The Lord is my portion. And one more thing about Satan. He, like all mankind and created beings and angels, were given free will. And it's in this vital element, element that Satan was tested and Adam was tested. And indeed, we are tested every day about whether we'll go for the Lord or against him. You know. He showed me a, a circle once with lots of little inner rings like this and he was in the middle. And there were all these arrows going and coming. Like one minute you're choosing to go that way and that and So that we're in and out all the while. And a lot of our inability to actually release our lives completely to him is because we don't actually trust him that's the bottom line we don't trust him that he's got the best for us we don't trust him that what we want it to come out a certain way don't we so we won't let go in case it does doesn't come out how we like it um oh foolish and slow of heart to believe he also said to the Guys on the road to Emmaus, foolish and slow of heart to believe. So as we've already looked at, he did this by stealth, going round to the angels, promising them the earth and getting them on his side. And the big point here is that there are still two-thirds with us. There are more with us than there are uh, with them, as Elisha said in uh, 2 Kings 6, 13 to 17. There are more with us than there are with him, them. Um, I don't know where your theology takes you about angels, but we have been very aware that we can ask the Lord to send angelic uh, provision and protection to us. Um, the more as the day approaches, really, that he will send battalions. of. I've seen them coming in through the windows at home. When we're going to have a meeting, I ask him. There was one classic day when we were doing um, a group deliverance on Freemasonry because we had... Um, eight or nine people who all said well we want to go through the prayer and I'd never done it group before so I thought this could be fun and things was popping up all over the place but before we did it 
the night before, there was an event that made me think about, he makes his angels flames of fire, his ministers flames of fire in Hebrews. So I said, Father, can we have some of those tomorrow? Because I think we could do with some biggies that, you know, got a bit of fire behind them. Like. So I asked for these things and didn't think any more about it. Halfway through um, taking them through the prayer, some people were getting deliverance. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on all at once. You know, it was popping around all the room. The fire alarm in Joyce's bedroom went off. Smoke alarm. She was nowhere, n not cooking, not doing anything. And, this, and, and I'm thinking, what's that noise? And someone said, it sounds like a fire alarm. I'm, oh, I can't be bothered now. I mean, uh, And we prayed about it afterwards, individually and together. And we both felt that it was one of the angels went, ting-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, just to let us know that those angels were there. Those you asked for it, you done get it. The problem is we ask for it and we don't believe we've got it. That is the trouble. God is bringing me into the place where when I'm seeing someone, I'll ask him beforehand what he wants to do. So then I say to him, when I say this, because that person might not like to think they might have a demon, when I say this, can we agree that what I mean is turf it out? <laughs> It's like this agreement I have with the Lord before we, we get onto the battlefield. So the person comes and I put my paw on their back and I say, Father, would you separate light and darkness, please? Father, would you just come and separate light and darkness? They start coughing because the Lord's going. <laughs> I don't have to go into it all about demons and frightening daylights out of them if they've got an entity that they didn't know. I don't have to do any of that. It's sorted before I come down the stairs. And it, it is brilliant. Um, it's scary too because sometimes he'll say to me, what do you want? And I'm thinking, search me. I don't know. What do you, okay, Father, but what do you want for this person? Because I want the best. I'm not going to settle for the good. You know? So as you progress in your walk with God, it's out of intimacy that these things come. <laughs> it's out of intimacy that these things come. Um, it, Jesus said, didn't he, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. But that, and people get disappointed because they say, well, I've asked. Didn't get it. Well, the fact is that it's in face-to-face, -face, as we will see in, in, uh, in a moment, which I just love, the creation account. Um, it's in that face-to-face, -face, I'm yours, you are mine, bridal relationship with him that we start to see the power of God move. And actually, for me, it's not what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on him so that he is free to do. It's like he says, there was a lady rang me um, uh, a couple of days ago that I, uh, someone had said to me she might ring about three months ago and, and Julie she did ring and suddenly I realised who it was and she said well I need my witness to be better than it is and I'm not in a good you know and I need to be able to get out and work for the Lord and I said sweetheart first of all he wants you to know who he wants to be for you she burst into tears on the other end of the phone I said darling when you found out who he wants to be for you 
then he'll take your hand and he'll say, let's go. It's out of bridal partnership that we do these things. We don't do it. Some were called, some were sent, some got up and went, we used to say <laughs> in our you know, early days. But it's so true because the church will send you out. They will recognize a gift and they'll send you out in it, but you're not going out in the strength and power of Elijah. You're going out in the strength and power of the Baptist church or whoever because God has, he may well have called you, but there's a place between the calling and the manifestation and it's called process. And usually when he's ready to put you out, you don't know when to go. And you're like, Moses, who made man's mouth? I've had God say that to me. Who made man's mouth? He is, I, I cannot, I said to the Lord this morning, I just want them to somehow to convey who you are. That this is, this is, this is not, this is someone I know. I know him, I'm getting to know him. And because I'm getting to know his love for me, I can love him. Amen. Don't think you can love him without the fact that you are loved by him first. Because all that is, is eros. We can't love out of our eros. People say, oh, I love the Lord. And I think, no, sweetheart, you love your idea of what you think the Lord is. But never mind, we'll get there. <laughs> I love him. When I first came into the, it was, it was all gifts. It was all speaking in tongues. Oh, everybody going around like this. You know, um, Yes, but that's, that is the manifestation that we have, the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power. But we need to know what his role is, and I'd love to do a session on that. Because he's the minister of the interior. He's the guy, he's the one that keeps me in check. No, don't do that. Oh, Don't say that now, right? Okay. There's this conversation going on. N not verbal, it's a sense. Gina, the other day, she, came, she comes to our Wednesday group and, and she'd apparently brought something before Christmas to see if it was the right time to bring it, but not, the opening didn't come. I said what I felt God was speaking about this year, and in fact, it's about time. Time is the only commodity we have. Money is not the commodity that we trade in as Christians. Spend time, pass time, use time, waste time. Time is our commodity. Watch how you spend your time. That is the word of the Lord for this year. For the days are evil. So we need to watch. That's another message. But she held it back. And um, I gave this thing. And she said, I wonder if it's the right time for this. And it was how Satan gets us. He can't stop us getting born again. He can't stop us going to church. But he can make us waste our time. And it was just, it just went in like dovetail, didn't it? It's just, he will release you into whatever your gifting is but your gifting must not be primary because there are two things we've got one is it, we have two relationships with him one is our personal relationship and the other is our working relationship if you focus on your working relationship sooner or later he's going to haul you in like a car needing a service put you up on the chocks and have a look at what's going on inside because you can't do it without the personal relationship Intimacy comes first. Everything flows out of that. I've gone off again, haven't I? Just say to me, Kep, you want your lunch. 
So in this present time, as we said, he commutes between the second and third heavens and the time will come when he'll be cast down to earth and we will not be around. I'm not going to say hopefully, we will not. When we study that, we'll see. So having set the scene, we're ready to look at the creation account and the Garden of Eden on earth. And we'll have a look at that this afternoon, if the Lord will. Thank you very much for listening. Bless you. Have a good lunch. Or is this good or is this good? Coming up at one o'clock. Several little, again, you know, they're the, the just the tidying ups, really, of things. Um, some, someone asked about an offering. If you want to make an offering, there's a dish there. Stick it with the money for the things. Take it out if you're short. I mean, that's the way. <laughs> if you're short, help yourself. <laughs> I must tell you a story. Carol and Alan Shires, you know, or Alan and Carol, keep getting around the wrong way. They... Uh, were down to their last 20 quid so and it was just before Christmas and they thought not this Christmas some Christmases ago and so they decided they put a tenner in the offering um, and 10 pounds to spend on food and that would be it so they went to church and their church has got a balcony so when the offerings coming round Alan's up there giving the communion out to everybody so Carol thinks bags coming round, I'll put the tenner in. Though it had been agreed that he would put the tenner in because he's up there so he can't do it. So she, you know what's coming. She put the tenner in. When he comes back and sits down, she says, very pleased with herself, I'll put the tenner in, dear. He said, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're absolutely barassic and got nothing. And I forget how it ended, but something like someone handed them an envelope before they got out the church with something like 100 quid in it. I remember the time when we were coming out of the community church and, you know, the community church used to support us, I think, £250 once a quarter, which was very lovely. And this was our last Saturday there, a Sunday there, going all Jewish, Sabbath. Um, and I sat there with my offering that I usually put and I thought, I'm leaving today. And I thought, oh, I'll be blowed. And, I, and, I, and we were due this 250 pounds and those were in the days when I, I had my nose right up against what was coming in you know because of the outgoings that we had uh, so I dropped this thing into the plate and as they were winding up two of the leaders were over there in the corner and suddenly one of them broke away and came and he gave me a check for 250 pounds mm. I mean I'd have felt awful if I hadn't put my money in the offering <laughs> it's one of those areas isn't it <laughs> <laughs> right in your... Oh, hello, I blew in it. Well, right, I won't ask how I do it. So that's, that's that. Pardon? Yes. We have the technology. Our te I mean, what are these, 6th of January? You'd just to be amazed. Um, so the next thing is that we are planning, we've prayed about it, um, a healing conference. Um, and we don't know the date of it yet. I think it will probably be sooner rather than later. I expect God to move in amazing ways. Um, I would say it's, it is specifically targeted at those who have had abuse in their childhood. doesn't mean you can't come if you haven't had abuse, but if you have had abuse, in, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is a risky thing. That this is what he seems to want to do. He wants to show his glory. Um, so if you've been abused in any way in your childhood, think about coming on whatever date it will be. I'll let you know.
um, because it will be a healing conference uh, and God will move in mighty ways and you will know him. Uh, he's going to remove everything. It's like, it's like we've gone down under a, a landslide, you know, and he's just moving everything out of the way to get at you. He cannot stand anything being in the way anymore of his relationship with you. He can't wait. I was sitting in my bedroom many, many years ago now, and I felt like a breath on my cheek. And he said, the bridegroom has left his chamber. There are so many aspects of the Lord to know. I mean, those of you who know me, um, I'm heavy on the Song of Songs and Revelation. Those are my two books at the moment. Doesn't mean I leave aside the rest of it. But Song of Songs and Revelation are, they hand in hand, really. You know, Song of Songs is his heart for his bride that we see. I don't know. Can you hear me now? Is that good? Yes. We've got a friend of ours called Sarah and she's got this little bit and piece of a dog. She calls it bingo. I mean, it bounces everywhere. Um, yes. And apparently when it, when it was having a bath, it would be like this, you know, shivering like that. And she'd say, oh, stop acting. It'd go... <laughs> It's a girl, of course. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, dear. Oh, I patted something then and it made a noise. <laughs> right, now, that's the healing conference. That's that bit. Books that I would recommend that if you've got a few, Bob, or um, you want to do a real study, Vines, New Testament Greek, very good. Probably get it for around about nine or ten pounds these days. A Strong's or a Young's Concordance, either of those are very good. Uh, they both give the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, I probably favour the Strong's because... Joyce bought me a Strong's a couple of years ago and I, I find it's absolutely brilliant. I've got it up in my bedroom. It's a huge thing. But it, it's not hugely, hugely expensive in light of its size, is it? It's about that thick and about that. Um, but it's under £40, I think it was at that time, which is enough for a book, but it, it'll last you a lifetime. Um, so Strong's or Young's or uh, Vines, uh, probably as well as all of them. Um, and reading material, I sort of joke with the Lord, I say I'm going to change their diet, Father. I mean, the, 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 the books that are around, the Christian books are around, very good as far as they go, but I, I would hazard a guess that you read the back and you know what the content is. We were joking about this, weren't we? There's a book called uh, um, Driven Beyond the, Beyond the Call the of God. Hey? Oh, really? Well, we're all learning, aren't we? Yeah. I thought it was a bloke. Um, 
I lost where I was now, wasn't I? Driven beyond the call of God. Yes, thank you very much. Driven beyond the call of God. And someone was, uh, just over the last 24 hours, I said, it's all in the title. You don't need to read the book. <laughs> you know, bless church, bless what they do, but you can be driven beyond the call of God in a church fellowship. You can be driven beyond your call. And that is what causes you to be like this, because it's not by might, as I heard someone say at lunchtime, not by power, oh no, but by my spirit, probably before lunch. And this is it. Anyway, off we go. Watchman Nee, Tozer, Andrew Murray, any of these older writers, absolutely brilliant. John of the Cross, uh, Augustine. You don't have to go and wade into these old manuscripts. There are lovely little books in the series that I can't remember what they're called now. You know the St. John of the Cross one, that man that's updated them and made them into daily readings. Teresa of Avila. David Hazard, Teresa of Avila, uh, Julian of Norwich, all these people, they walked with God in a way that I, I envy. I'm not, I want to be a was-not, you know, that's what I'm aiming for. You don't know what I mean, do you? Enoch was a was-not. The Lord took him and he was-not. I want to be a was-not. A was-not, no, was-not, dear, not a what-not. Enoch walked with God and he was-not, yes. We'll all be was-nots. <laughs> nearly said, with luck and a following wind, but I thought that's not probably... <laughs> okay. Uh, now the scene is set, curtain up for scene three, which is the Garden of Eden. Um, Job 38.7. We will have a little look at this scripture now. This one has gripped me by the throat. If anybody thinks of anything else I should have been announcing, please let me know. Someone's pinched Joe about my book. Before Psalms, it should be. This is the majestic response of God uh, to Job, who's got to the thin end of it, really. And the Lord answers Job. This is Yahweh, the self-existent one. Job 38, verse 1. Out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. I just love it so much, I've got to read it. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I mean, can you imagine it? God has been forming and fashioning this world, this earth. They've never seen anything like it before. And they're delirious. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. I mean, I ask you, swaddling band what you put around a baby, isn't it? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come but no further and here your proud waves stop. I think it's so utterly amazing. You look at the tide and coming in and you think, but you're not going to be able to go any further than there because he said so. 
Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? And so he goes on. Job says a little bit further on, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. In the chapter 40, I lay my hand over my mouth. Uh, when God really gets to grips with us, we do lay our hands over our mouth. Anyway. So the scene is set for the love affair of the universe. And we already know some of the characters. The triune God and Satan. So we've got, if you like, four people on stage already. And God has a dream. Has a dream. Someone on whom he can lavish his love and who will love him with the love that he gives them. And you want a scripture for that? It's 1 John 4, 19. And this is how I can say of a certainty, we love because he first loved us. So until we can receive that love of his, that we are okay, just as we are, fat, thin, tall, short, able or not able, whatever it is, he has doled it out to us. A one-talent person is not going to be required to bring in a five-talent return. Um, it's, the, it's, it's the rewards and things that we maybe get a chance to look at some other time. There are rewards, you know. There are two thrones for us to see, and only one will we stand before, and that is the beamer seat of God. That's the rewards place, not the great white throne. That was a little plinth where when they'd run their marathon, you know, the Olympic Games, the man would stand and hand out the wreaths and the things and the scrolls and all their rewards. That's the only place. It's our works that are judged, not us. Uh, and uh, if, if people walking in the fear that they're going to stand by under, in the, on the great white throne judgment, it's, it's just Satan's twisting. Someone brought me a beautiful picture. I've had two uh, given to me during the course of this, and one of them was that keys were coming out of my mouth where Bibles have been locked up. I've had chains around them. And whatever it is I'm saying is unlocking those chains, and flesh is coming on to the people. She said they were like skeletons. They got their Bibles, but the Bibles were chained because there was no understanding. My people perish for lack of knowledge. There is so much. So, 1 John 4:19. We love him because he first loved us. And that's our biggie, isn't it? Receiving from him. We'll give all right, but receiving is a different thing completely. So a personal God creates a personal man for personal fellowship. Purpose and intent, purposeful. Eternal purpose, nothing haphazard, whole plan already in place, God will have a people who love him of their own free will. I just want to play this game because I like it. Joyce bought me a new pot of Play-Doh. <laughs> it is, the other had gone hard. 
sorry about that sound. Ooh. So I just want you to come with me to the Garden of Eden for a minute. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all there. Dust on the floor. Picks up a bit. Well, it's not going to mould, is it? Just dust. So do you think that he spat on it like Jesus did? Before he put that clay on the man's eyes, the blind man, do you remember that? I've got a scripture for it a bit later on here, because uh, it, it just came to me. I thought, he couldn't put dust on his eyes, he put, he put clay. It says in the, in the word that he put clay. So here he is, squeezing and forming this. He forms it with the care. If you look in Strong's, it's tremendous. It, it, with intention, great skill, he's crafting this person. He's every, every little squeeze is done so carefully with the hand, by the hands of a craftsman. But I think what tickled me as much as anything was the clay. Jesus was saying, this is who I am. On the floor, make the clay, stick it on your eyes, go wash. Clear as anything, he's saying, I am he. And these are Jews. They've got all this. I'm the one. I'm the one. Shouting at him, really, wasn't it? And we, 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 well, I do. I've read over it for years. So here he is, forming this guy beautifully. There he is. You've got to imagine. You've got to use your imagination here. Now, this, this is a lovely thing that, that... I'll put it back in the pot, actually. I've been playing it. Um, God showed me this one day when I was actually counselling with a guy. And um, what I saw was God's created this man, Adam, adult, but he's there like this. And uh, God comes up to him. And in the Hebrew, he explodes air into his mouth. The, it's, it's the word vip. So he comes up to him and eyes to eyes, nose to nose, can't get any closer than that, mouth to mouth. He explodes air into the clay. And the clay goes and looks straight into the eyes of the Creator. A love affair. Straight into the eyes. That continuous, outgoing breath. Because when God breathes, it's a isn't, isn't drawing like we do. He doesn't go. Somehow, he's, he's always a continuous, outgoing breath vip and it hasn't stopped because it's the spirit of God that gives life to every man it says doesn't it in John I think gives life to every man light to every man whether we're born again or not that silver cord that you see in Ecclesiastes if we look at spirit, soul and body we'll understand this more the silver cord that we all have got that we can't see stays attached till God cuts it and says it's your time and you go so man then becomes 
a living soul. He doesn't become a living being. The, the Hebrew word is nefesh. 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 In, out. In, out. He becomes a living soul. And he's looking into the eyes of his creator. I mean, it, just to think about that, to me, is... It is so amazing, just thinking of them and standing there looking at each other. And he's saying to Adam, I've made all this for you. You know, we worry about provision. Just have a look, Genesis 1. This should settle it for us once and for all, if only we would settle it. I speak to myself. And all the first six days, he creates everything. So he didn't put man, he didn't sort of make man standing back, oh, support system. What's he going to eat? Where's he going to live? He created everything first and into that place he put the man he created. That's totally intentional. So he created the waters and the sea creatures and he said be fruitful and multiply, let the birds multiply. But he moulded, he formed everything, you know out of the clay. And I had this little quirk of a thought um, that he got his clay and he's making, say, a rhinoceros or something and he's talking to the other two of the Trinity saying, shall we have a nose this shape on this, do you think? Cut the nostrils there, do you think that'd be nice like that? Pulling the nose out, putting all these twiddly bits up. You know, I just thought, it's joined the whole process of creating, because some animals are absolutely unbelievable. You know, think of an anteater, for goodness sake, you know. How do you like this? Should we like that, like that? And oh, then we'll have to make something little for them to eat. So they're having this whale of a time creating all these things. You just let yourself go on the <laughs> imagining that. I mean, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. I'll get back to our script. So we've seen the first heavenly Eden. We've seen how before the world was created, the angelic conflict be began. And we've seen from the Ezekiel passage that earthly rulers are controlled by spiritual forces. So now we're going to see, really going to have a look at the second Eden. And uh, I've already done that bit, coming into the creation account because I couldn't wait for it. Did I say we were going to stop for tea at quarter to three? I bet I forgot that. Did I not? I didn't tell, I was, one of the things I was supposed to say. <laughs> Stop for tea at quarter to three. So they give you a, a break to have some tea and, and, and whatever else you need before we need to say goodbye at four, you see. It's all very organised. So God prepares this beautiful place, forming all the animals. Uh, and as I've said, what about this nose on this shape? And then the climax on the sixth day when the whole support system is in place. God always makes preparation when he's going to do something. The preparation that he made before Jesus' birth was Alexander the Great and something called Koine Greek. You're probably going to say that we know all about this. But Koine Greek was invented by Alexander the Great who had conquered pretty well all the whole known world then. And because, like the English language really, if I was to say fire... Now, if you were in the army, and I say fire, one of you would be firing there, firing there, firing at the ground, firing over there. It could mean anything, you know. But Koine Greek is so exact that it says exactly what it means. 
And that went throughout the whole known world. So Jesus comes and the gospel gets out like that because God has prepared the language. Easily, easily, easily it goes. So another little bit of uh, information that fascinates me is about the Hebrew language. That was a dead language. Um, it died out almost 90, well, 2,000 years ago, really. It died out for 1,900 years. Uh, and it's been rediscovered and it is in use now in Israel. Pretty well all the um, people in Israel who are n native there will speak Hebrew. And there is no other case that is recorded anywhere in world history of a language disappearing and then being brought back again like that. Because it died out after the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which is after probably not the last of the apostles died because John was on Patmos, wasn't he? Um, but certainly after Jesus had died, there had been the dispersion of the disciples and within a few years, Hebrew had died out as a spoken language. But after almost 1900 years, it came back through a sickly, sickly 23-year-old young man who arrived in Jaffa in 1880. His name was Eliezer ben Yehuda. His body was racked with tuberculosis and his brain was on fire with a passionate desire to make Hebrew a living language again. And when Israel became a state in 1948 again, Hebrew was chosen as the national language. And today in Israel, as I said, you can hear the language of the Bible being spoken as an everyday language by taxi drivers, shopkeepers, housewives, children. Um, when he came over to um, Israel on the, day over, on, the, on the ship, he said to his wife that they would only speak Hebrew. They would only speak to each other in Hebrew. And he also said they would have 12 children all sons, to start up the nation of Israel again. In fact, they had 11. This poor girl, she had a, a very hard time. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they had a two-room flat in the slum area, just opposite the Wailing Wall, and the only means of getting in and out of that flat was by climbing a rope ladder. And she had 11 sons. <laughs> and the first few of these were born <laughs> while they were in the flat. She's a game girl. But God, when he is intent on doing something, uses people. Hello, people. It's not going to be someone else. It's probably going to be you. Because <laughs> that's the way he's decided he's going to do it. So there's this young man. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so now the garden's ready and he's formed the pinnacle of his creation. And they were all concerned. It's the let us, isn't it, in Genesis? I know the first time I saw that, I wasn't, hadn't been a Christian five minutes, frightened the life out of me. I thought God was one, one person. I had not heard, never ever been churched. I'll give you a bit of Hebrew if I can remember it. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohino Adonai Echad. Anybody, any idea what that says? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. I love the language. There's something about it that just really hits me right where I live. That's called the Shema. That is something that they say. And if you go through the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see how many times <laughs> through Moses and them, he says, Hear, O Israel, Shema, Israel. Oi, listen up. And so Shema, church, hear. Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. He's the one. 
the Lord our God is one. And when it says one, it doesn't mean he's singular. It means he's unique. He's the only God, in other words. There isn't another one. It's him. All the rest is rubbish. That scripture I wanted about Jesus putting the clay is John 9, um, 6 to 7. It's worth having a look at because of the Gospel of John. I just, it just only hit me, I think, last night. I thought, when I was looking at it, I thought, wait a minute. Didn't he form clay? And you see it in a couple of the other accounts, it doesn't say it, but in John, it does. As lo- as John 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, is telling them. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. It's not surprising, is it? He's the creator who did it in the first place, doing exactly the same as he did in the garden. Using the same clay. Spit. And another revelation for me as I looked was that he he fashioned the animals as well. I thought he just spoke and they came into being, but Genesis 2.19 tells us that he formed them as well. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. Now Adam was no slouch, was he? And to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So he gave names to everything and with some complicated names about them. There's no slouch. Something else that leads off onto something else here is that he formed the spirit of man within him. You'll find that in Zechariah 12.1. And the heart and the mind of man, it says in Psalm 33, he forms also, 13 to 15. So we can truly say, as it says in Romans 11.36, of him and to him and through him are all things. Everything comes from him and goes back to him. God loves circles. Comes from him and goes back to him. Of him and through him and to him are all things. He is the initiator. He is the author. Our job is to respond. If we start initiating, we get out of faith and into presumption. Wouldn't you like me to do this for you, Lord? No, not a lot. You just wait till I tell you to do something and then we'll go and do it together. So he creates man in his image and in his likeness. Now up here we've got the created order um, before the fall has created. God, angels and Satan, man, no it's fall isn't it, it's fall isn't it Richard this one? Because it's different after isn't it? No, no it isn't, it's before as well, that's right. Because we're, okay, this is the created order, God, angels and Satan, man, animals. We actually now, you see, which Satan, it's a very well-kept secret, are in a higher place than we were when we were created. 
Because because we're in Christ, it's God, Jesus, the believers, angels and Satan, unbelievers and animals. But it's a well-kept secret that we're actually up here. Because if we actually start behaving from up here, in Ephesians 2.6, turn the world upside down. So we've got to do a bit of adjustment, really, in our thinking and see that this is what Jesus did for us. He took us higher than we were when God created us. Because the the fall didn't come as as something that God wasn't anticipating. He knew it, he saw it, and he was going to do what he was going to do just the same. And polish off his arch enemy in the process. Going back to God's breathing, the breath of life, I do love that, into the clay, Um, we see it again because Jesus does exactly the same thing to his disciples after his resurrection. John 20, 22. This is what happens to you the moment you're born again. This is where he's come, he's he's died, he's been resurrected, he's turned up and he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad. And then he says to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. They were not born again up until that point. Up until that point, they were Old Testament believers because what he did there was breathe the spirit and reunited their fallen, lost spirit into the, into the spirit of God. So they were linked up again. If you like, it's like your dynamo in your car. If that dies, you've had it. You can't start your car. And before we are born again, we're like a car with a flat battery. Link your dynamo up and you're off and running. You have a human spirit which gives you breath and you live as long as God wants you to, to live. But the, the moment that you're born again, the breath of God enters you again. And you are born of incorruptible seed. And you have a completely new DNA. The problem is that the enemy wants to keep us living in the old DNA. I've always been like this. It's always been my problem. I'll be like it till I go. No. I was one of the very blessed people that when I was born again, I knew it was like I've got the old one standing alongside. Mm. Sue will tell you. <laughs> she was there at the time. Uh, we worked together. Uh, and uh, it's not a pretty sight to hear what I was like before I was born again. But it was so noticeable that people asked what had happened. And unbelievers, what's happened to you? Chief executive, what's happened to you? What's happened to you then? So I took them to one side and told them. I remember saying to, I can't remember her name, what, this one of the social heads, the head of the social workers. Because I worked for a director of social services and housing. That's, that was what I was also, that one. And uh, she said, here, come in here. Sit down. What's happened to you? You've got a new bloke or something? <laughs> I said, in a manner of speaking, I have. His name's Jesus. What? Because they could see what had happened. Jesus had breathed 
life into me and I grabbed it with both hands and I was not going to let go. I'll tell you, one of the things that happened, it's one thing to get people set free, it's a totally different thing for them to stay free. It is easy to get people set free. Easy. Because God does all of it and it's done. But keeping them free, that's where this comes in. Getting them grounded in the word. I've got a mandate from God. It's ground them in my word. Teach them to hear me. Teach them to obey me. <laughs> Another little tripping point. Uh, and release them. That's my mandate. So I'm grounding you in the word of God. And then I'll tell you everything else that is showing me as we go along, which is brilliant. Uh, but without this, the gifts, it's no good. It's character. Gifts, yes, gifts, I always say, like uh, baubles on a Christmas tree. You can add them at any time that you like. Gifts, lovely. But if that Christmas tree has got no roots, it will die and its spines will fall off. It's the roots that will bring forth the fruit. And we're rooted and grounded in him. We need to get it to be a reality in our lives. Um, I'm probably going to do it. A bit of fruit, you know. <laughs> you didn't like what that did on a machine. It peaked, didn't it? Yes, didn't like that. But just have a think for a minute. You've got an apple tree, plum tree. I nearly said a gooseberry tree. No, we don't have any of those. Um, pear tree. Hang it out in your garden like this, you know. Is it standing there thinking, I wonder if I'm going to crop well this year? Mm -hmm. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to have any fruit on my branches here, you know? Oh, looking at this blossom, is that bee going to come along? And Worried, worried, worried. It doesn't, does it? Puts its roots down, takes up what it needs, and out of the ends comes the fruit. And God does all the rest. He's out comes all the blossom. It's like a sheep standing in the field going, mm, I'm going to grow some wool. <laughs> We've got to relax in who we are in him. It's a tremendous place to come to, to trip up, fall over, sometimes be de deliberately naughty, and know that you can come back. Because Graham Cook tells the story of, of having a dream about some 20 years before when he'd been particularly rebellious and deliberately rebellious, walking away from the Lord. And he has this dream one night. And into this scene of where he was doing whatever he was doing that was naughty and he shouldn't have been doing, walks Jesus. He said, absolute master of stage management and timing. He walks right in at the moment that, ooh, and freeze frames everything. So Graham's stuck in the middle of this, whatever it was he shouldn't have been doing. And Jesus walked over to him and he said, Graham, it wasn't what you were doing that upset me. It was the fact that you couldn't see what I wanted you to be for you in it. And he woke up laughing and crying at the same time. He always wants to be something for us. No matter what pickle we've got ourselves into, we do get to be silly billies. We do make mistakes. We do do silly things. The times we used to say that, we used to hang on each other's necks and say, Lord, we've been silly billies again when we got ourselves in. <laughs> We've been there. We've lived this thing, you see. You can't talk about or teach on what you haven't lived. It's not flesh on you, as the Bible says. It has to be flesh on you. You can't talk about bearing fruit or 
doing anything unless it's flesh on you, that you know it, you live it, you breathe it. So slow down, be gentle on yourselves, because he is, and just obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit as he, as he comes. And when I was having lunch there, um, it was like he said, come away with me. So yeah, it won't be a minute, I'll have another grape. Come now. Oh, okay, right, coming, coming. Picked up my tray, someone said something, I thought, I've got to go. He <laughs> just wanted me to be quiet for half an hour before I started back again. His commands are not burdensome. So we were created for unbroken fellowship and total dependence on our Creator. In the Song of Songs, she comes up at the tail end of it, leaning on her beloved. She's leaning on him. And when we turn and realise our fallen state, we begin the journey to wholeness and sanctification. And though we're not immediately made right with God, but we are immediately made right with God uh, by the virtue of Jesus' blood. We're back seeing him as he intended. And through our walk with him, he continuously reveals more and more of himself as we are able to receive it. He will give you what you can receive. There's a scripture in John as well. He says, I cannot tell you things now because you cannot bear it. You cannot bear them now. And he said this, he said this to me once or twice on my walk. You, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them yet. Uh, and there are things that you need to go through to be able to bear the deep things of God. Um, the little old hymn, high on his heart, he will bear them for you. If you, if you give him his care, the cares and the worries, high on his heart, he will bear them for you. You'll tell me in a minute what that is. I'm always coming up with a fragment of something and saying to Joyce, where's that come from? Unbroken fellowship. So he wants to reveal more and more of himself as we're able to receive it. He's a giver and a revealer of himself and his eternal plan interrupted by the fall, uh, is to dwell in the midst of his people. Adam was, you know, given instructions about dominion, not that I'm pointing the finger, before Eve was created. If you look in Genesis 2, 15 to 17, he gives, he gives Adam the instructions before he creates Eve. Uh, and then he says in verse 18, it's not good the man to be alone, prefiguring the bride that God wanted to present to his son. Uh, and God created Eve out of Adam's side, and the two were one flesh, naked and unashamed. But that prefigures the bride of Christ. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, that centurion stuck a spear through his side. And out of his riven side came the bride. That's where we've come from. Out of the side of Christ. Uh, stop for a minute and have a cup of tea. Now, uh, the scene in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, probably about three. Uh, there's Adam and Eve there. Let's have a look at the scripture. And it looks as though they were together. Um, it's Genesis 3. We all know it very well. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? She adds a bit. We may eat 
of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, or you shall, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she got the message that this was something she mustn't go near. And obviously Adam had told her that. The reason that God didn't want them to eat it is in verse 5, for God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now I don't know about you, but for years I wondered what that really meant. I mean, I really wondered what it was. The temptation was to self-government. That's what he tempted them with. You won't need to refer to God. You'll know whether it's all right or whether it isn't. And the mess that we're in right now is the result of us making our own choices. If you have a look at Judges, you'll see right at the end of the book, God raised up Judges for Israel, all sorts of people, a woman included, Deborah, great girl. Uh, and uh, at the end of it, it says, every man did as he thought fit. And uh, it's a name for nothing. Self-government is a name for nothing. This is why we have so much difficulty actually submitting to God, giving him what he wants, because we still want our penneth. We still want to actually want to say in what's going on. Uh, and so that was the temptation. No, you don't need him telling you what to do. Hmm. Do it for yourself. So she sees that it's good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, make her wise. Let's have a bit. And it says in verse 6, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. So he's standing there looking at what she's doing. Now, could I write the scenario that he says, wait a minute, we've been told not to do that. I'm, you know, your, your husband, don't do that. But he didn't. And that is why we see uh, in Timothy, I think it's Timothy, uh, Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. His was deliberate. He knew he'd got the instruction. He stood by and watched her do it, and then had a bit himself. And he must have seen the change in Eve, because the glory would have gone. The glory was departed from her immediately. And the good news is that the sin nature is passed down through the man, which is why Jesus had to come born of a virgin. Didn't mean she wasn't sinful, but the seed that was placed into her womb was perfect. So don't let anybody talk you out of the virgin birth. We may talk about that one, because uh, it had to be like that, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and because she was not genetically passing anything on to that seed that was placed in her womb, it was sinless. So Joseph had nothing to do with it. You put on a bit of pork, haven't you, Mary? <laughs> I know what pregnant is, means, Mary. <laughs> oh, it was an angel. Oh, glowed, did he? <laughs> really funny, really funny. Um, but the seriousness of it is, it's left us in this state, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And you notice the sequence of the curse. He's, the God starts with, the, he goes looking for Adam and Eve, which is the, which is the, uh, the title of this today, which is Echoes from Eden. He goes looking, saying, where are you? And you jolly well where they were, of course. But this is always it. It's always his initiative towards us. 
We don't wake up one morning and think, I think I'll get saved this morning. I surely know that I didn't wake up thinking I'd get saved. I had to hit the wall, slide down it, and <laughs> sit there with my eyes rotating in different directions before I realised what was going on. Um, so the first thing he does is he curses the serpent. And this serpent was up on his hind legs before because he had the ear of Eve, didn't he? Mm. Whispered in her ear. So you're cursed, down you go. On your belly you will go. And you shall eat dust. What are we made of? We are his food if we will allow it. Lunch is served. If you operate in your old fallen nature, you're giving Satan lunch. That is why it's so important that we begin to understand what it means to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Because it really is lunch is served. Every time we respond in a way that we know we shouldn't, but we think, I'm going to have a carnal moment, we're actually giving him lunch. Just a thought, isn't it? You'll eat dust. And then he turns, God turns to the woman and he says, multiply your sorrow in conception, in pain you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then he turns to Adam and he says, because you've heeded the voice of your wife. Somebody else in the Bible, I expect you can remember it was, that heeded the voice of his wife and we're stuck with a Palestinian problem. Sarah said to Abraham, oh, go and lay with Hagar. I can't give you an offspring. He heeded the voice of his wife. It, I tell you, girls, it's fatal. <laughs> Unless we are the wisdom of God for our husbands, keep a trap shut. <laughs> Gently. <laughs> and so what's his result? I, I freaked someone out here. I heard, did I hear an aside? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Bless your brother. So he's heeded the... You, Cursed is the ground for your sake. And this, I know that this freaked someone. We, we, had, we didn't have a stand-up fight about it, but when I drew his attention to it, it, no, 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 no. I said, we didn't sweat before the fall. What? That's what it says, though. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat. Everything popped up on its own before. You didn't have to do anything. You go out and you think, I need half a dozen carrots to make that stew. And, of course, they were vegetarian. Didn't have any effort in it at all. But the part of the curse is, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. It's going to be a fight. You shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you will eat bread. It's going to be a struggle, and you're going to sweat physically. And that, that uh, it caused him to trip up, bless his heart. Um, you never know where the tripping up place is with people. I mean, I'm spraying it out here and you might be tripping up like goodness as far as I know. <laughs> but hopefully in a minute, if you've got problems, I'll try to unpick them for you. Um, and then, of course, we get the fact that the Father God here, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, uh, the self-existent one who's more powerful than all the powerful ones, makes a tunic of skin and clothes them. I'd like you just to think for a moment. He brings an animal and he slits its throat. The blood sink, sinks into the ground. And of that, he makes tunics to clothe them. Exactly the same as Jesus does for us. 
4,000 years later. That's another thing. How old is the earth? That's another thing. Uh, I think it's about 7,000 years old. It's not millions of years old, folks. God couldn't wait that long for us. <laughs> He's panting. And it's interesting here, he, he puts this clothes over them because, of course, they'd sewn fig leaves together. I'm wont to say that uh, when you come into our place, you know, it's a bit like, you know, you've got your fig leaves on and God comes along and, and does a wax job on you and just gets hold of the corner of it and rips it off and you know it make your eyes water. <laughs> Think of where you've got your fig leaves. <laughs> and everything is revealed. <laughs> It's the way it comes to me like that, you know, very graphic. Just let's just get hold of the corner. It reminds me of my son once when he was very little. He must have been about five or six in the bath. Plaster that size on knee. Had been there about a fortnight. You can imagine what it was like. Wouldn't let me get near it because he's grazed his knee and we had to have a plaster on it. So while he's looking or playing with his ducks or whatever he was doing, I got hold of the plaster and went, and he went, did it hurt? <laughs> got it off so quick. It's been a family joke. Did it hurt? <laughs> so God comes at you a bit quick sometimes and rips off your fig leaves and says, did it hurt? Oh, well, not now. I'm all, all undone and exposed. Well, as he likes it like that, so he can start working on you. Anyway, here we are now at verse 22 of Genesis 3. And the Lord says, we've got to stop them eating from the tree of life. Two trees in the garden, a river, rivers in the garden, uh, beautiful place, but we've got to stop them because if they'd eaten in that way, we would have had eternal life the way we are. Not very nice. Uh, so he therefore brings the cherubim to guard it. And just quickly, if you think of this, um, about, I don't know how many years later, the, the, the uh, earth is flooded, but Noah... Uh, lived for about 900 years. Uh, Adam lived for nearly a thousand years. So all those progeny coming up knew exactly what had happened in the garden. It would have been passed on by word of mouth. Um, so they knew, they knew what had happened. They were around at the time and, they, and th the progeny that come from Adam and Eve here would know that they were driven out from the garden. That would have been, you know, we used to be in there, but we can't get in there now, look, because there's those two great big cherubim garden it there all day and night, can't get in there. Um, so they would have been aware of these things. But even so, as, as you go on into to Genesis, which we won't do now, we see how the, uh, it got appalling even by Genesis 6. We, we start to see the giants of Genesis by Genesis 6 here. Anybody know about the giants of Genesis? Thank you. Anybody else know about the giants of Genesis? Yeah. Mm. I mean, Goliath was real. Yeah, it was huge. Because the angels, the angelic beings, came down and mated with the women. Uh, ungodly multiplication and they did it again after the flood a bit so you get guys like Goliath about but that's another thing uh, so we've got this lovely uh, tree that they've now eaten of and mm. upset themselves and uh, they can't have access now um, to the tree in the garden and those angels guarding it with a sword um, they couldn't have 
couldn't go in there. So he drives them out. I mean, that's strong stuff, isn't it? Paradise is lost. So discover, to discover paradise regained, we need to go to Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Here we have the river. Showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There'll be no night there, no night there. Hallelujah, there's no night there. For Jesus is the light in that city bright. Hallelujah, there's no night there. <laughs> That's the cabaret. <laughs> I can't help it. And so there's no night there. That's paradise regained. There's the river, there's the tree of, the, of life in that garden there. So there's actually a third Eden. Here it comes, the one that God had prepared from the foundation of the earth that we should enjoy with him. Here we see it in Revelation 22. Uh, and these are the last verses of prophecy that are found in the Bible. Verse 3 shows there will be no more curse. And when Adam fell on the whole of creation fell as well. De death, disease, sickness came in with the fall. And this verse shows us that disease, death and sickness will no longer be around. Everything will be perfect. But you say, why does it say it's healing of the nations if there's no more sickness? Well, that is actually a wonderful picture of God's provision. This tree is there as a testimony to God's provision and the statement of his love that he completes what he started. There isn't going to be sickness. It's a... It's a uh, a picture of his care, his concern, his love, his provision from Genesis to Revelation. In between this, us lucky ones will have uh, the rapture of the church where the curse will be partially lifted. We might go into that. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. And again, there'll be veggies. They'll lie down with the lamb. But we'll go into, into that if, you, if you'd be interested to see it. The eternal state itself we don't know too much about. We don't need to, do we? We know it's all going to be all right. Uh, so I think that's probably all there is for the teaching. But I would urge you, actually, um, to decide to read through the Bible in a year. The reading plans are still a few here. Glad to see most of them are gone. You can get good little Bibles in the NIV that actually take you through um, the Bible in a year from right the way through. It gives you um, an Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, Psalms or Proverbs. And you get your portion every day. So make sure you get your Weetabix down you, that does. Uh, it's like eating food. You don't know how it does you good, but you need to eat it. Because if you don't get it in, it can't come out. Thy word was found, Jeremiah said, and I did eat it, and it was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I often get into, lapse into the King James, you know. 
so I do like the King James. So make a decision, you're going to read through the Bible in a year. And then study the word. Ask the Lord where he wants you to study. If he wants you to study a particular book, I remember there was a time when I spent three months reading the first few verses of Joshua. He just kept me in it. I couldn't go on. There, there was another uh, thing, discipline, spiritual discipline that you might want to learn is about meditating on the word of God, chewing it over, you know. Um, this is no order about this, but keep a journal, listen for his voice, write down what he says. You know, prayer is not all about one-way stuff, Lord, gimme, 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 gimme. It's about hearing what, it's far more about hearing what he says than actually what we say, because things happen when he says, not when we say. I'm waiting for the let there be word. Uh, there is a promise that, that, that we are actually in a time of acceleration and uh, maybe on the 27th I'll bring along the prophecy. I said to the Lord, you haven't given me a prophecy for this year? So he said, yes, I have. I don't know if I've brought it with me. Um, and, and I thought, well, you didn't actually give me one, you know, as you did last year. Um, but actually what had happened was that while I was away at Christmas time, I'd... Um, listen to something 10 years old nearly about the captivated heart by Tony Morton we went to a conference 10 years ago well 10 years ago next year at Southampton it was and it was called in the face of God wasn't it and during the course of it he read this and then Graham Cook, in the back of his new book, there's a, there's a, a prophecy, and it, and it starts out by saying, time is the only commodity we have. So I'll just finish with that. Oh, no, I won't. I was going to get you to play that thing, wasn't I? I see, I've got memory like a sieve. I'll do this first, and then we pray that. It's called, Lord, I have time. I went out, Lord. Men were coming out. They were coming and going, Lord, walking and running. Everything was rushing. Cars, lorries, the street, the whole town. Men were rushing not to waste time. They were rushing after time to catch up with time, to gain time. Goodbye, sir, excuse me. I'll come back, I can't wait. I haven't time. Must end this letter, but I haven't time. I'd love to help you, but I haven't time. Can't accept, having no time. Can't think, can't read. I'm swamped, haven't time. I'd like to pray, but I haven't time. You understand, Lord. They simply haven't time. The child is playing. He hasn't the time right now. Later on. The schoolboy has his homework to do, he hasn't time. Later on, the student has his courses and so much work, he hasn't time. Later on, the young married man has his new house and he has to fix it up, he hasn't time. Later on, the grandparents have their grandchildren, they haven't time. Later on, they're ill, they have their treatments, they haven't time. Later on, they're dying, they have no too late. They have no more time. And so all men run after time, Lord. They pass through life running, hurried, jostled, overburdened, frantic. They never get there. In spite of all their efforts, they're still short of time. Lord, you must have made a mistake in your calculations. There's a big mistake somewhere. The hours are too short. Our lives are too short. You who are beyond time, Lord, you smile to see us fighting it. You know what you're doing. You make no mistakes in your distribution of time to man. You give each one time to do what you want him to do. 
But we mustn't lose time, waste time, kill time, pass time. For time is a gift that you give us, but a perishable gift, a gift that doesn't keep, Lord. Lord, I have plenty of time. I have time. All the time you give me, the years of my life, the days of my years, the hours of my days, they're all mine. Mine to fill quietly, calmly, calmly, 